0: We're going to start this, this uh, our message time with the Lord's Prayer, as, as we've been doing leading up to Advent and in Advent, and so we're going to read it together. So if you could put the prayer up, uh, Abigail, and we'll, we'll read this together. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, as we um, posture ourselves in this prayer, we long for this prayer to be rooted in our hearts. And week after week, as we read it, as we begin to reflect on it, um, in a sense, swim in it, immerse ourselves in it, God, we so long to be transformed by um, what you want to teach us through it, Lord. And even today, as we open up the scriptures and, and focus on one line again today, God, we just pray that you'd grab hold of our attention, and especially in this season of Advent, as we remind ourselves that we anticipate um, the second coming of Jesus, your full, glorious kingdom coming in all its glory and rule and reign um, and as we live between the Advents, God, we, just, we want to become the kind of people that anticipate and also live into what that means. So lead us and speak to us today, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Week after week, we're just trying to... Um Lean into this prayer. Read it. Also, just physically get up and read it together like that. I hope that's helpful for you. And as you've been doing week after week, we're focusing on one line. So this week, here's the line that we're focusing on today, all right? Probably one of the most difficult lines of the prayer, maybe. You ready? Let's read this out together. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Let's read that one more time, okay? Forgive us our debts As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, about six years ago, I was finishing up a program at Concordia University. I was doing a master's there. And uh, if you're a student, if you've been a student, whether full time or part time, if you're Older or different different season of life, uh, you know you know there's a big deal about your student account. You want to make sure you're paid up. and uh, so you know being in, being taking these classes, I was paying my tuition you know semester to semester. and um, I think I, 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 in my head, I'm pretty sure I was tracking, and i and I tend to like look at my numbers quite often, you know, So I was looking at this account, and I, I know I had about nine hundred dollars left to pay uh, in my student account. and then one day I went to the account and went online and checked it out. And my account was at zero. I'm like zero. That's so weird. I I mean, I had close to $900 that I still owed for a semester. I was coming to the end of this program, and I was looking forward to finishing, but I knew I had $900 to pay, and I saw it there, like, multiple times in the last couple of weeks, and it was was down to zero. So I checked my records. I checked if I paid it. I checked, you know, I asked around, like, I called a friend. Did you bless me today? Did you, like, send some money to Concordia? (laughs) Nothing. So I called Concordia. I called the, the the accounting office and I said, "You got to check my files. I mean, like, I'm 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 happy for a freebie, but I don't want to get a $900 bill in three months, you know." So um, they checked everything. They che- they said, "Listen, David. I mean, you're like." fully clear, like you have no more money to pay. I'm like, that's amazing. So I hung up the phone, very, very happy. And uh, it was a pretty, pretty cool feeling. And it reminded me in that moment, what it feels like to be forgiven of a debt, even though, you know, not necessarily that way. I don't even know what happened or how that all came together, but it was such a beautiful feeling. And there's, there's this power and there's this relief of having something you owed wiped clean right? This power, this relief of something you owe. And in this prayer, sometimes, um, you know, the word sin is there, forgive us our sins, or sometimes the word forgive us our trespasses. Matthew uses the word debt, and we just read it, you know, this version, our debt and and forgiving our debtors. At the heart of forgiveness, think about this, it's not just a spiritual or internal idea that we're talking about here. It's the kind of action that frees us from debt, that frees us from debt. And of course, there's a spiritual uh, message in here that that our sin is like a debt, or an offense to someone is like a debt. But before we even think about that, think about just the power of being forgiven or released of a real debt. And before we unpack uh, what this line is saying or how to pray it, I want us to imagine what the disciples might have been hearing When Jesus said this, or maybe a first century Jew might have been hearing, when Jesus introduces this or invites them to pray this prayer, forgive us our debts. So there's some backstory that I think is going on in people's minds. And, And there's a couple of stories, actually. The first one is the story of what's called Jubilee, And this was in Israel's history, in Israel's, the way God dealt with Israel, and as he shaped Israel as a nation and gave Israel these laws, one of the laws that was in place or principles that was in place was that every 50 years, God commanded Israel to free everyone from debt. So Israel had had these, these laws in place that every seventh year, they would take a Sabbath or a sabbatical or even give the land a break, and there was a sense of rest. But every seven, seven years which turned out to be 49, but on the 50th year, something extraordinary happened. It's it's in Leviticus 29, verse 10. It says this, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee year for you or a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. So imagine after after a generation or two or a generation and a half, Somebody is stuck out of money, so they so they get into slavery, or they get bought in a sense like for me to live, I gotta go work for this person, they partly own me, or I gotta like liquidate my land, or my my family owns this piece of property, but we're stuck, so we're selling we we gotta give some of it up. So what, what Israel did, what God did for Israel is to prevent generational poverty and generational debt. He said, Every 50 years, clear all the debts. Every 50 years. People can go back to their property and go back to their family or their clan. And so slaves and prisoners would be free. Debts would be literally forgiven, and there'd be a reset. It'd be like a reset. And the mercies of God would feel tangible, not just spiritual, tangible. And so when Jesus invites us and the first disciples to pray for forgiveness and to forgive others, Jubilee is in the back of their minds. Jubilee is in the back of their story, in the back of their history. Jubilee was likely in their minds the extent of what forgiveness means. There's another story and more of an incident where before Jesus comes on the scene, there's someone who's preparing the way for Jesus. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, or the baptizer, he baptized people. He called people to what we know as repentance. He was calling Israel to repent of their sin, of their life, of their direction, and to get into what God was doing because Jesus was coming announcing God's kingdom, and he's calling Israel to make a U-turn to now follow God's ways. And as he invites people to repent for the forgiveness of their sins, you got to imagine for centuries, Israel was like, this is God's direction and Israel often detoured. And for three or four centuries, Israel just kept detouring. They were away from God's plan, away from God's direction. And even though God was wanting to do this, Israel was doing this, walking away from God's vision and hope for them. Well, here comes John the Baptist, And he's helping them prepare to experience Jesus coming, to experience God's kingdom. They would need to repent. They'd need to make a U-turn towards God's vision and away from where they were going. Well, how could they receive, how could God receive a detoured nation except to forgive them, to wipe their slate clean? And as people came to the waters, as John the Baptist is baptizing, and they're being baptized, they're all getting these fresh starts, these fresh beginnings. The, their, their slate is wiped clean, there's a reset that's pressed, and they're offered a fresh start, which is understood as mercy. So just imagine this also in the disciples' minds, because this is Jesus introducing them to this prayer is, happens after John the Baptist. But it's not just the stories that happened before. It's the stories that would occur. And you got to imagine the gospel writers writing this and compiling all these, these teachings of Jesus together. This is you know, uh, maybe 40 or 50 years after, 30 years after this happened. And so they have all the stories of Jesus in their mind. And there's one particular story we've kind of looked at the last couple of weeks. Because Jesus often told stories to remind people of what his kingdom is like or teach people what his kingdom is like. One of those stories is the story of the lost son, right? And we talked about it here and there over the last couple of weeks. This story of a father, right? Last week we said throwing a party for a son who took half his inheritance. So we said God is abundant. There's always more than enough. And he continues to throw parties when when we come back to him. But it's more than that. It's forgiveness. Because this son's actions hurt the father. This son's actions took away half the wealth. This son's action disgraced the family. This son's action hurt the brother. This son's action offended. And so there's this offense, this debt, this sin, this trespass, all the words we can use in the Lord's Prayer. And what, what image do we get of what forgiveness is like? Jesus is telling us forgiveness is like a dad running to his disgraced son and welcoming him home. That's what forgiveness looks like. When the person running to you has disgraced you, has stolen from you, has hurt you, has offended you, here's the father running to this son and welcoming him back. That's what forgiveness looks like. And so we have now kind of some backstory and these shocking stories of forgiveness because sometimes we need a shocking story to help us understand the nature of God's kingdom because God's ways aren't always our ways, right? And the way we want to do life and the way we want to run kingdom and the way we want to run our world is not always the way God wants. And sometimes we need shocking stories like a running father to his disgraced son to help us understand the nature of God's kingdom, that God would not change the world through coercion, that God would not change the world through violence, that God would not influence the world through retribution, but that his kindness, Paul tells us, leads people to repentance. God's kindness, forgiveness, leads people to repentance. I like what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, we need shocking reminders of forgiveness because our culture has either forgotten what forgiveness is or trivialized it. Maybe forgiveness is like a Hallmark movie to you or a Christmas movie, right? There's your list of Christmas movies to watch and it's sentimentalized. N.T. Wright says, forgiveness is richer, higher, harder, more shocking, than we imagine. So when Jesus says, forgive us our debts or our sins or our trespasses, we Jesus is inviting us to pray something revolutionary. Jesus is inviting us to pray into something that we really almost need to be shocked into because it's not the way the world works. And Jesus starts with the first phrase, forgive us our debts or our sins. But why, I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've come to Christ and you've called Jesus Lord and as you've called him Lord and aligned yourself with him, you, you're reaping the benefit of forgiveness. You're reaping the benefit of what he did on the cross where he destroyed the power of sin on the cross and your sins, our sins are forgiven. Why pray this prayer? Well, we pray this prayer, one, because it's already true. That's the first thing, and I want to kind of put that that line on the screen for us. We pray this prayer because it's already true. So when we pray, forgive us our sins, we're praying it because we know it's already true. But you know why we pray this prayer? It's the second line, because it's not always true for us. It's true that God offers forgiveness. It's true that his kingdom is about forgiveness. It's true that Jesus went to the cross and defeated sin and death, and therefore we are forgiven, but it doesn't always feel true for us. And so we pray this prayer because as we even walk with Jesus, we find ourselves in need of being reminded that, this is, that forgiveness is there, that God forgives us, that forgiveness is available to me and the world around me. So we pray this because, yes, it's already true, but it's not always true for us. And even if you've been forgiven, you know, come to Christ and follow Jesus we need to be reminded that there's moments where we still need to come to the Lord and say, God, I've detoured here. And remember that He's a forgiving God. And He embraces us. But here, here's here's another reason that I think we need to pray this prayer. It's because we need to understand our own condition. Jesus is teaching his disciples the kind of life that they're called to live and the kind of posture they're called to develop and the kind of people that they can be in God's kingdom. And so when we pray this prayer, we understand our condition that we acknowledge we're sinful. We acknowledge I sin, you sin. I acknowledge that I offend. I'm sure I've offended people in our church community here. So I've offended some people. You've, some people, you've offended me. Right. So when we pray this prayer, we're acknowledging, we're sinful, we sin, we offend, we hurt. We are indebted to one another at times. We are indebted for certain reasons. We have a reason to seek forgiveness. And so we say forgive us our debts, but later in verse 14 and 15, um, Jesus says, remember, are you going to be the kind of person who forgives those who sin against you? So he connects sin with debt, this idea that debt can also be seen as sin. So we understand our condition. Dallas Willard likes to use the word pity. And as soon as I say the word pity, some of you like in our modern culture are saying, what? Like, no, nobody pities me. You know, I'm nothing to be pitied for. And I think that's why Willard likes to use the word because it kind of like freaks us out. Wait a second. It kind of makes us think that maybe this is part of my heart condition. That even though it rubs me the wrong way because to be pitied sounds like it's demeaning. It sounds like it hits our pride, but it's not really meant to be demeaning or to belittle. It helps us recognize why we need forgiveness in the first place. Let me ask you a question. If you've ever asked someone for forgiveness, have you asked it because you've done nothing wrong? Have you asked it because you're perfect? Have you asked it because there's no no reason to ask it? No. Why ask for forgiveness unless there's a reason? So that's the thing. Forgiveness, uh, you know, sometimes we, want to, we like to use this other word, mercy, because mercy feels better, right? Mercy feels like, like I'm giving my friend a break or they're giving me a break. Cut me some slack. You know, just kind of give me some mercy here. But forgiveness, doesn't forgiveness mean someone is, is, is seeing your fall, seeing your failure, seeing your fault, aware of your mistake or your lack of character? And they respond with mercy. But pity helps us realize that, that, that it's even deeper than that. See, pity is to be felt sorry for. Mercy sometimes is like, just give me a break. And we like forgiveness to feel like we're given slack. But forgiveness is deeper than just giving slack. Forgiveness is, I'm in need of pity right now because I've hurt somebody and i've messed up this relationship in kind of fun ways and and not like real serious ways like i can see my family sometimes looking at me with pity when i say something weird at the table or i forget something or i've messed up something and i'm and they're like oh dad oh da-. it's almost like poor dave you know right kind of thing and and so that that's maybe a nice way of looking at pity but when we go really deeper We really think, well, if I'm truly, if there's really sin that I wrestle with, I'm grateful that God pities me, that he looks at me and says, I want to extend mercy and forgiveness to you in your fault, in your failure, in your mistake. Dallas Willard says this, he says, if my pride is not touched when I pray for forgiveness, I have not prayed for it. I don't even understand it. If, if your pride and my pride is not hit, is not rubbed, is not scratched, is not hit, touched in some way, have you really prayed for forgiveness? Have you even, have I even understood forgiveness if my pride has not been hit? If somehow we're not kind of affected and impacted when we ask for forgiveness, then we probably don't even understand forgiveness, We probably don't even understand what's being extended to us, what's being given to us, what's being offered to us. But when we step back and say, and something really does hit us, and it humbles us, and it affects us, and it jolts us, and it convicts us, it maybe breaks us in some way, all of a sudden we start to realize what forgiveness is. When the son walked back home and the father was running to him, Do you not think that when this son was asking for forgiveness, his pride was broken? His pride was hit? As the son, as the father welcomed him and poured blessing and threw a party, you think this son, as he's walking, did not, his pride was not hit, was not touched? Unless our pride is affected, we often don't even know what forgiveness is. See, so we pray this prayer because we know we need it. We pray, forgive us our sins because we know we need it. But it's not just personal, right? Forgive us our sins. It's collective. It's communal. It's plural. And there's this recognition that sometimes we sin as communities. We sin as nations. We sin as families. We sin as... As a, as a church. And so I think, I think when Jesus invites the disciples to pray this prayer and when we are called to pray it, I think there's something that Jesus is setting us up for. Almost like there's going to be days, there's going to be seasons, there's going to be moments in your history where this prayer is going to be so needed because you're going to do something to others that you're going to need to stand back and ask for forgiveness. You're going to do something to a group of people and you're going to have to stand back and say, I wronged you. I think there's going to be a moment, let's just be personal as a church, there's going to be moments where churches will need to step back and say, we have hurt the community by doing this. We have wronged people by doing this. We have wronged a segment of the population, not because of our convictions, but because of our treatment to them. And I think Jesus, as He introduces this prayer, the disciples have no idea what the church is going to look like, but over 2,000 years, man, has the church not had to sometimes ask for forgiveness? Has the church not had to ask for forgiveness, for getting too close to the state, at times in history? Has the church not had to ask for forgiveness for hurting all, a, a group of people, like a, a group, of, like a, a region or a people group? If we look. In back in church history, we we look back and say yes, there's been moments where the church needed to ask for forgiveness. As I was thinking about this, I thought I thought about the state church in Germany during Hitler's power and how the state church got so caught up with Hitler. And you have Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, who was a resistor. He, he tried to, to really nurture a church that wasn't influenced by the state, that didn't just say yes to everything the state said or everything that Hitler said. And, man, they were persecuted for it. I mean, Bonhoeffer went to jail for it. But I, I can't imagine, like, if I, there's part of me that says, if I was part of that church and just caught up with it, maybe blind, I might say, what do I have to ask for forgiveness for? But as we look back in history, we say, oh, man, I hope that the church that bought into Hitler stops and says, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for getting caught up with this. Forgive us for believing this propaganda. Forgive us for believing this lie. Forgive us for being like part and parcel with hurting other people. God, forgive us. Yeah, we need to be pitied for this. Forgive us. And I think there's moments where that happens. But here's where Jesus moves on next. Jesus assumes, and this is the tough part, eh? Because it's not just prayer. He assumes your participation and my participation in what God's kingdom is all about. Because he doesn't just say, forgive us our sins. When we pray this, we say, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This, this, is, this is important here because as we experience and believe that forgiveness is available to us, we want this kind of life for everyone. We want this kind of life for everyone. It's like if it's like if if I get like, you know, I get to my Concordia account and I'm completely debt-free. And then some and then I, I kind of like look at someone else who who's kind of struggling under that and I just couldn't care less about them at all. Jesus is saying, as we forgive those our debtors who we who sin against us. It's kind of saying like, I, want, I don't want just forgiveness. I want a community of forgiveness. I don't want just forgiveness. I want this kind of freedom for everybody. I want this kind of experience for everybody. I want everybody to experience this. So it moves from me to we, and it moves from we to us. Right? So it's kind of like concentric circles. God forgives me. God does a work in me. But I'm not just interested in me. As I say, God, Lord, forgive me my debts, my sin, my trespasses. Then there's a concentric circle around that that's saying, I want, I want to be able to be the kind of person that forgives the people in this circle and the people in this circle. So now forgiveness grows. And it becomes a real kingdom thing. A real community thing. A real experiential thing. And i, I put it like this on the screen. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. And this is important too. Forgiven people create communities of forgiveness. If we have truly experienced this incredible forgiveness of God, will we become forgiving people? If we've truly experienced forgiveness from God, will we create communities of forgiveness? There was a test in the early church there was a slave. His name was Onesimus, and he came. He 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 left uh, the town where he was from, and he left his master Philemon. And Paul he comes into contact with Paul, and this this slave Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. So now it's not only master-slave, employer-employee but a master-slave type of thing. Now Paul gets to meet this person and Onesimus goes back to Philemon and Paul writes a letter to Philemon. And Paul says to Philemon, I don't want you just to accept him back as a slave. Are you going to accept him back as a brother? Are you going to accept him back as family? That's huge. Because there was hurt there. Because regardless of faith or whatever, this slave left. This slave was still indebted to this person, and they left. Now, but now they're part of God's family. They're part of the church. They're part of the, this local community. And, and Paul's saying to, to Philemon, what kind of person are you going to be? What kind of community are, are you a part of? What, what's happening here? What are you going to express? And that's such a powerful example of what it means to be a community of forgiveness, where not only do I say, Lord, forgive me of my debts, but I forgive my debtors, or I forgive those who sin against me. And I think that was Jesus' dream, Jesus' dream, as he, as he prays this prayer, and as he launches the disciples out eventually, is that the church would create kingdom communities of forgiveness, that there'd be these pockets in Poinclair at West Side, in Beaconsfield and in Montreal and Laval and Toronto and Canada and North America. there'd be pockets of jubilee. There'd be pockets of new life. There'd be pockets of freedom. There'd be pockets of overflowing forgiveness. There'd be pockets, there'd be exp- like real life examples of fathers running to their disgraced kids, like Jesus tells us in that story. And Jesus did things and told us things and, and, and told us stories to show us, to shock us what that's like. He, he hung out with Zacchaeus, a crooked tax collector that many people didn't want to hang out with, and he went and hung out in his house. He pronounced forgiveness to a thief on the cross on his last dying breath. He told stories of dads running to their disgraced kids
1: because he wanted us
0: to get this picture of what it means not just to be forgiven ourselves but to be a community of forgiveness. Stanley Hauerhaus, he says, to pray this way is to become a citizen of God's kingdom of forgiveness. That's challenging because it's so great to pray the first part. Man, if you need forgiveness, that's a win. You, go, you, go, you can go home happy today, right? Sweet. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm done. But to keep going and hear the assumption that Jesus puts in place as we forgive those who sin against us. See, Jesus doesn't only want us to be forgiven. And I want, I want you to think about this line. Jesus doesn't only want us to be forgiven. He wants us to live it and spread it. His, his dream, his vision, is not just for me to experience forgiveness. He wants me to live it. He wants me to spread it. He wants everyone around me to experience this. And he wants me to be the kind of person that contributes to the church community I'm a part of so this pocket of community can look like God's kingdom, can look like what it means to be forgiving people. That's not easy, but that's, that's what we're called to. We're called to bring to become forgiving people who learn to forgive. And sometimes people read this text, and I know it's hard because it almost looks like if I don't forgive, like, is God going to forgive me only when I forgive? Like, is this a prerequisite? It's a strong enough text to almost think that. It's tough because I don't believe we forgive to earn forgiveness. We don't forgive somebody else so I can earn forgiveness from God. But I, as I forgive others, I live it. I'm truly living it. And this, this is where it gets hard. This is where you have to check your heart. i got to check my heart. This is where i got to really ask myself, do I really believe that this is true? Not just for me, but for everybody. N.T. Wright says, a failure to forgive one another wasn't a matter of failing to live up to a new bit of moral teaching. It was cutting off the branch you were sitting on. So imagine this, right? Jesus tells us this, this teaching. He says, he's the vine, we're the branches, let's abide in him. So if, Jesus, if this is Jesus, I'll take Matt's mic. So here's... here's this is the vine and so this vine represents the kingdom of God there's forgiveness in this vine there's forgiveness in this kingdom there's forgiveness in what God's doing and now I'm a part of this vine so I here I am a part of this vine and and so I'm a branch connected to the vine the idea is I'm living the kingdom values because I'm connected to the vine But if I'm not living the kingdom values, if I will not become the kind of person that forgives and and helps nurture a forgiving community and pockets of community, I might as well cut myself off from the vine. I might as well say, well, why am I even part of this vine? I'm not really living the values of the vine. So it's like I cut myself off from the vine. I'm refusing to forgive. So if a Jesus community refuses to forgive, does it really believe God's kingdom of forgiveness? If you and me refuse to forgive, do we really believe that God's kingdom is about forgiveness? Do we really believe or have we really experienced this kind of forgiveness from God? And that's why I think Jesus adds later in verse 14 and 15, and we can read that off the screen. It's, it's pretty stark. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's some strong commentary here. There's some strong connection that if I am not the kind of person that is growing in forgiveness, not perfect in forgiveness. None of us are perfect. If I'm not growing in that, am I really the kind of person that has experienced the fullness of God's forgiveness? And that's kind of where we we land with this. We want to become this kind of people. That's why I love this text for Advent. Because Jesus came bringing in God's kingdom, but we anticipate the fullness of his kingdom, and we live in between, right? So what do we do? We learn to become people of the fullness of God's kingdom, living glimpses of it today, and it's possible because Jesus already brought it. Jesus already started it. The Spirit is already working in us. So if we bring it all together, Jesus invites us to ask God for forgiveness, That's always available for us. But he assumes that our experience of God's forgiveness transforms us into people who forgive. That's the kind of people we want to be. I don't want just forgiveness from me. I want to become the kind of person that forgives. So if me and Ricardo get to know each other and we're in our church community and I've experienced God's forgiveness, wouldn't it be horrible if he does something to offend me, but I don't extend that forgiveness to him? I've just cut myself off the vine. Kind of saying, I'm not going to live that way. No, Jesus says, experience the beauty of God's forgiveness, but be one who extends it and spreads it out. So here's a couple of ways. I'm going to just list this really fast, and it's not even extended. It's just really, really quick. What, What does it mean for us to pray this? It means a couple of things. First of all, it means there's the reality of forgiveness, but then there's the realization of it. It's already true. God's forgiven us. God's extended forgiveness. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's defeated sin and death. There's forgiveness that's a reality and available to us, but we need to move into the realization of it, both for ourselves and for the people around us, both for ourselves and how we extend it to others. But another way that we live this is we need to make this claim. I am part of an alternate kingdom. I'm part of this vine, and I want to stay connected to this vine. I claim to be part of an alternate kingdom that exists, and this alternate kingdom is God's kingdom, and this kingdom is full of forgiveness, and this kingdom creates a kind of community that the world is longing for and that humanity is longing for, and I claim to be part of this kingdom. I claim to be part of this kingdom. And it's a kingdom that does not secure its future through violence and coercion and retribution and revenge and getting back to people. It's a different kind of kingdom. And when we claim to be part of it, we start to live it and we start to model it for people around us. Then we can start creating kingdom communities. It's not, it's not, as, it's not as exciting just to be a church in a, in, a, in a community. You know what's exciting? When the community looks in and says, wow, wow. How do those people continue to get along with all those mess ups? And like, how does that happen? Because in my family, we can't even finish supper without like completely being over with each other forever. Like, and then they start to look in and say, "Man, they what kind of community are they creating? What kind of relationships is, are happening there?" How does that person, how does they have the ability to forgive that kind of hurt, that kind of offense? How do they have the the ability, how how is it possible that some of these relationships have been mended and healed? How is it possible? And they they start to look in and they start to see, "I, I I I want more of that. I want to experience that. And then we become participants in between the first advent and the second advent, the first coming in breaking and the second for the fullness of God's kingdom, we become participants in God's mission of creating these pockets of forgiving communities. But here's the danger if we don't do it. If we don't do it, we miss out. You miss out. Lewis Mead says, when someone chooses not to forgive, it's, it's not the other person who's in a prison. They're the one who, is, who stays in a prison. We miss out what it means to be forgiven and to be people who forgive. That's the danger here. The danger is not necessarily the loss of relationship with God. The danger is we miss out, you miss out. The danger is this too. I don't want to become the kind of person that can't know when I've done wrong. And I don't want us to become the kind of church that misses when we've grieved people or the community or each other where we can't say, God, forgive us where we can come to one another and say, could you forgive me for doing this? I don't want to become that kind of church. I want to become the kind of church and the kind of people where we actually have the kind of self-reflection because if we don't, we're just going to get lost in our own errors. We're going to get lost in our own sin. We're going to get lost in our own mistakes. We're going to get lost in, in, in all kinds of things where we don't let God in. Let me just close by sharing a story. And friends of mine and I might have shared this in different contexts before, but there was a man and a wife who, um, who came searching for God. And uh, my wife and I were part of another church. They sat at the back of the church the first Sunday they came, and they were mad at each other. They were mad at each other. He had cheated on her multiple times in his business world. They were mad. I mean, if you could, like, like, Kind of paint a black picture, it was their face. And they walked in and they sat at the back, and it was the first time I saw them. And I wondered, like, well, this is like, this doesn't look good, you know? And as we started to get to hear their story and know their story, we realized what was going on. I mean, there was a complete betrayal and sever in the relationship. Over about four to six months, both of them, interestingly enough, came to faith and started following jesus and i'll never forget the day that uh, oh, we got a chance to baptize them they got baptized together in the baptismal tent. <laughs> it was amazing but here's what i what i realized what was happening they all all the things we talked about that they were kind of all happening in their life they experienced god's forgiveness for them each of them they were both sinners they, were, they both held debts. They both offended. Now, we could say, one, you know, there was issues, and we could say, well, what do you mean they're both? Well, they both in their own way. But then they had to figure out what that looked like together. And as they experienced God's forgiveness, something beautiful started to happen. They started to extend forgiveness to each other. I mean, they would never have stood in the tub together getting baptized if, they kinda, if that wasn't the start of what was happening there. And over the years, they become the kind of people that have started extending forgiveness to others. And they, become the kind of, they became the kind of people that are, that are part of a church community that, where, where, they're, where they're extending forgiveness to other people. When I think of their story, I think, what a beautiful thing. They have come to the point where they said, Lord, forgive me of my sins, of my debt. They've experienced that. They've embraced that. They've welcomed that. It, it grew to a place in their hearts so much where they were able to forgive each other that's that concentric circle. And then it became a place where they became part of a church community that started to spread it out to the people around them. And if you know these people, you'll know that they're kind of the kind of people that bring joy to other people's lives. And I'm realizing that's the heart of this prayer. God, forgive us our sin, our debt, our trespasses as we become the kind of people that forgive others in our lives. That would not have been possible in their life if they did not truly come to believe that God's kingdom is about forgiveness. Amen? Let's stand and pray. You know, I, the, the, I don't know about you, but I still need shocking stories of forgiveness like that. Jesus told the story of the father running to his son, but we need stories like I just shared right now. Shocking modern stories of forgiveness. Forgiveness that show us the beauty and the depth of that. Now, as I say that, the weight of that is, can be very hard for some of you right now in this room. Maybe there's some, some, something you're dealing with that the weight of forgiveness feels difficult, and we need a whole other message around what that looks like. There's a difference between forgiving the sin and forgiving the sinner, the debt and forgiving the debtor. But there's no doubt that somehow God longs for that kind of freedom for us. Amen? The kind of life that is only possible when we claim to be part of God's kingdom. So we're going to practice this prayer as we've been practicing the prayer this month. I just going to invite you just to pause. to. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And, and then as we've done the last few weeks, we stop at the line where... Where we're, we're focusing on today, and we will dwell on it for a little bit longer. And we'll let some of the other pieces of the prayer connect to the line we're praying today. Let's pray this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today Our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Let's just pause there. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us of our offenses as we also forgive those who have offended us. Forgive us of our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. For a brief moment, just dwell on this first piece. Forgiveness is already true, is already possible in Christ. God is like that father who runs to his son and runs to us and forgives us. So whatever you need to bring before the Lord right now, just bring it. Just fill in the blanks of what you're asking God to forgive you of. Just fill in even the ugly or not so awesome descriptions of where you know you have deterred and you need forgiveness. Because it's already available. And God longs for you to experience it. He's made it possible. It's in his nature. And fulfilled and completed. In Christ. Defeating sin and death. Oh God, whatever... We are filling the blanks in right now as we pray. May each of us be so amazed that you are extending forgiveness to us right now. God, may we stand back in awe of your mercy towards us. Yes, we are at times people to be pitied because we are sinful and we do offend and we hurt. And some of the blanks that we we have filled in right now, God, are not great things or ugly things. Yet, you invite us to come and ask you for forgiveness, knowing that you do. So we welcome that right now in Jesus' name. God, as we pray this, Lord, may we not be blinded or neglect or try and put aside This second clause that we would become, that we are people, that you assume that we're people in your kingdom who've experienced forgiveness that also become people who forgive. Oh God, empower us, help us. Maybe right now some of you have other blanks to fill, you have people's names to fill, situations. someone who's indebted to you, someone who's offended you, someone who's sinned against you. and You need to fill in their name right now as we pray this. We're saying, Lord, forgive us of our sins as we forgive so-and-so, as we forgive this person or that person who sinned against us. Just fill in their name right now, even as a step to grow in this direction. Even if you don't have all the strength and the courage at the moment to invite God to help you with this. Yes, God. So God, we pray, we're grateful for your forgiveness and we pray that we would become the kind of people that nurture forgiving communities by the power of your Holy Spirit, because of the work of the cross of Jesus, because of the vision and dream you have for your kingdom, God. We long to be those kind of people. God, may our church, may the the relationships in our church right now, even some that are strained, God, we bring them all to you and we say, Lord, we long to be people of forgiveness. We long to be people who forgive. We long to be people who welcome this reality even when it's hard. Because we know that there's freedom. We know that there is peace at the end of that tunnel. We know that there is something greater and good. And so we commit ourselves to being this kind of church and this kind of people. Empower us by your spirit to do so. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.